Well, good evening, everybody. So glad that you're here this July afternoon. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, which is in your New Testament. If you're a student here with your Jesus-centered Bible, that would be toward the back half. And once you find the book of Acts, would you find chapter 19? We're in the book of Acts, our series that's on again, off again. And this evening, as Jason mentioned earlier, we're finding Paul in some new digs, the city of Ephesus. And before we read that, let me remind you that Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere. Last week, Toby preached and introduced us to a gifted preacher named Apollos. And the refrain throughout her message last week was that Apollos, although gifted and learned, still need to learn the way more adequately. You remember that word, adequately? Well, this evening, I want to pick up on a thread that she ended with when she quoted N.T. Wright and, to paraphrase, said, What matters is that we're open. There's always more to learn. At the end of Acts chapter 18, Apollos, who had all the gifts and all that learned knowledge, still had more to learn. And he did because he was open. Then we flip over to Acts 19, and this evening I'm inviting you to follow in some new disciples' footsteps to learn openly. And by the end of our time, I hope that you hear an invitation and have the imagination for a more open faith. What I mean by that is perhaps something will stir among you that's been nudging you or gnawing at you or nagging you into a place where we can live what we just sang. That we might surrender some of those old, worn out ideas. That we might surrender some of our expectations and be open enough to let the wind of the Spirit fill us and move us into deeper waters than we ever thought possible. I want you to follow in these new disciples' footsteps to learn openly, and by the end of it, to reflect and hear an invitation to a more open faith. Because there's more to be learned. Amen? Let's look at Acts 19. The first ten verses, I'm going to read it all. Then we're going to talk about it. And I hope that God might blow the wind of his spirit upon us anew. Acts 19 verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then Paul said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. That would be John the Baptist. Toby talked about him last week. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. All together there were about twelve of them. Verse 8. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke out boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. When some stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way, don't you love that? The way. Before the congregation, he left them, doing what he's been doing the last few chapters. But this time he took the disciples with him and argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Speaking of that, this is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Bear with me, and let me tell you about the last two pairs of pants I bought. The first was a pair of suit pants. Now I will never forget this buying experience. First of all, suits are expensive. And I'm very grateful to be a pastor or preacher that doesn't have to wear a suit every week because I walked into this suit store and the gentleman asked me what my waist size was. And I told him, and if I'm lying, I'm dying, this is within one millisecond his response. <laughs> no. True or false, Amy? And she was laughing just as much then as she is now. And I said, no, this is my size. And he goes, <laughs> no. He said, maybe in your Levi's, maybe in your gym shorts. And instead of walking out, because I had been to the other places that were more expensive, I followed him back and he handed me a pant that was two sizes larger than what I told him. And I looked at Amy. She was still laughing. And I tried them on. And I walked out and I said, you were right. And he said, I'm right because a suit pant is made and fits true to size. It's different. There's no give. You are what you are. And I've been thinking about that every night of my life. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was a... An experience that stuck with me. That was the first pair of pants that I bought. The last pair of pants that I bought were short pants. They were shorts from Target. I put these shorts on, and I was wearing them out and about, and I sat down, and I really didn't realize this until much later, that I found two drawstrings sticking out of the pant legs. And I pulled them out and said, these are so long. And I wondered what you're supposed to do with this. And then I went to July 4th and I ate a burger and some brats and we're hanging out and it's hot and it's sweaty. And I realized, I think I know. And I unbuttoned those buttons and I tied that drawstring inside and nobody knew that I had a little bit of extra room. And I have never had another pair of pants like these, but the next ones I buy, I'm going to look for a little bit of give in those drawstrings. I don't know that this is commonplace shorts technology, 
but it was so vastly different from my suit pant experience. Now, the easiest question of the night, which ones have I worn more often? My short pants. And if you see me in shorts this week, if you see me in shorts this week, do not ask to see the drawstring. Just know that it's there, giving me a little more wiggle room. I told you to bear with me. And yes, I called them short pants, Toby. But the reason I am belaboring this point of the pants is because I could not stop thinking about the kinds of faith, expressions, and experiences that we've been seeing chapter after chapter in the book of Acts. One is so rigid, stuck, and settled, and closed off with no room for growth. The other is a faith experience and expression that remains anchored in the story, but it is expandable, evolvable, and open. And so, yes, the question now is, what kind of faith not only is modeled in Acts, but is the invitation for us as people of faith today in 2023? You see, there's one side that would say, faith is this. You come in and say you're this waist size, and the pastor says, <laughs> no, that is not the correct expression of what you should be walking in. Hello? A rigid faith has no room for questions or curiosity. What happens when you don't have questions and curiosity tolerated, ruminated, and explored within a living, breathing faith community. I'll tell you what happens. There is no exploration or consideration. There is no moving forward. It's rigid. It is this and only this. Now, this is the point that you might start to think, well, does that mean that anything goes? Of course not. For two millennia, there has been a bare minimum understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And that's that Jesus is Lord, and he's invited us to follow him. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we can be joined to his life, forgiven, freed, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And if it means we're following him, that doesn't mean that anything goes. We look to places like the Sermon on the Mount to hear what he says, to see how he lived, and we anchor ourselves to that. So the opposite of rigid faith that says this and only this is an anchored faith that is so deeply and firmly rooted on that small collection of foundational, essential Elements that are worth building a life on. Like Jesus. Like God the Father who loves us and created us. Like the Spirit of God who is God moving among us. Faith that's anchored in what's foundational and worth building a life on. I help facilitate a pastor's group in East Dallas. There's about 60 churches that show up in a given calendar year. 
And there are big churches and there are house churches and little and everything in between. There's churches like us that share space. There's churches that belong to denominations. There's churches from the Anglican communion, a reformed position, a charismatic, a Baptist, and everything in between. And we call it Anchored Collective. And every month we get together and one of us does a little intro that says, we're not here to talk budgets or butts and seats. We're not here to talk shop. We come from different threads and experiences and expressions of Christianity, but we are here to draw Jesus out of one another and to see Jesus in one another because we're anchored to him. And what unites us is bigger than what divides us. And it's a beautiful ecumenical expression of how we can make the main thing the main thing. And it looks very unlike a rigid faith that says there is no wiggle room. You're either this waist size or you're not. Which kind of faith? On the other end of the spectrum, the suit pants spectrum, we have a settled or stuck kind of faith. Over and against an expandable and evolvable target drawstring kind of faith. Amen? Teachers in the house, you might think of this in terms of a fixed versus growth mindset. Am I getting that right? A fixed versus growth mindset. The power of I can or I might. The idea that you still have more to learn. In the hall of Tyrannus, were those that were open enough to say, there's something about this that feels anchored in our Jewish tradition, but I'm going to open myself up and let the story expand and evolve to really dig down deep and see if Jesus really is the Messiah. There were people in the synagogue that were settled and stuck. We're going to keep on doing the way we've been doing it for 6,000 years. Thank you very much. And then there are others that have a growth mindset that just start to wonder, is this where the story was headed all along? And for two years, they went in the afternoon to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus that we think is a school named after or with an instructor named Tyrannus, or it's a lecture hall made in his honor. But what we can discern is that Paul probably worked his day job in the morning, and then while everybody else after the lunch hour was resting and taking it easy, Paul would burn the candle at the other end, and about one o'clock in the afternoon, he would go and get a group of people who were open enough to see if this is where my faith is headed. That maybe there's something in this Jesus that's worth building a life around. Those that said no in the synagogue, those that will say no in Ephesus, have a closed mindset. They're settled, they're stuck. But of course, the final opposite of something that's closed is, of course, open. There's a subtle yet important difference between those bottom two words, closed versus open. Whereas settled and stuck versus expandable and evolvable is the kind of digging and researching. And yes, I think there's still more to learn. The closed versus open dynamic really boils down to this. Is your heart, mind, and Bible open enough 
to discern the direction the Spirit's moving. In other words, are the windows of your soul open to catch the wind of God? For these 12 disciples that had only heard the introduction to the story, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. There was something in their soul that was open enough to catch the wind of the Spirit in the sail of their hearts that moved them into the life of the kingdom they never experienced had they not been open and ready to respond. So the difference between the Pharisees and the disciples in the Gospels. The difference between the naysayers in the synagogue and those 12 and the rest of the class in the hall of Tyrannus is this. They left the windows open for more. There's something arrogant and ignorant about the kind of faith that says the huge, invisible, creator, sustainer God is completely figured out by me. There is something arrogant and ridiculous about the 30-some thousand verses written in languages you can't read through the lens of people who have walked it, lived it, studied it, taught it, a tradition that has examined it, turned it over, and twisted it, and comes out the other side for you to say, got it. There is something arrogant and ignorant to think that we don't just have a thimble of grace in an ocean you can never plumb the depths of. You've got a thimble, and we thank God for it. Because God makes himself known through the scriptures, through the church, through the discipleship and teaching of others. And God has made himself known through creation and the word become flesh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But to think that you have it all figured out is arrogant and ignorant. And there are too many people in the American church that said God said it, that settles it, and they're done. And I just wonder... If Paul came to this synagogue and started to tell us about where the Spirit of God, who was always promised, who was always present, who is now resident and is moving us on deeper to the heart of God and further out to love of neighbor, would we say, get out? I think our brothers and sisters in the largest Protestant denomination in America have said, get out. To every single woman who feels the whisper and call of God to preach and teach the good news of God. Because they've closed their hearts to say, half the population can't be called by God. And they have discerned who is worthy to proclaim good news. When the word of God was carried by Mary for nine months a young woman. Before a word was uttered, the word was in a womb. Who can say it? The Southern Baptist says, no women, which is ironic because Baptists are about the local autonomous catching the wind of the Spirit and cooperating despite our differences. And they forgot that it was a woman who said he is risen to Peter and John 
the first Easter sermon was preached by a woman. They forgot to read Acts 18, where the gifted preacher Apollos was corrected by a woman named Priscilla. I guess in, there's something about this church in Corinth and Ephesus where women don't have to be silent. Which begs the question, maybe what he told Timothy in Timothy's context about being silent and not teaching, maybe that has something to do with them there because Phoebe's a deacon in that other church. And Junia in Romans was listed among the great apostles. And Deborah in Judges ruled over the people of God. And men, I think, are people of God. And when Paul wrote to Galatians, he said, there's no longer slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, which is all the categories that divided us. Don't hold water, for we are one now in Christ. And you say, well, in Ephesus, he said that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. He did say that. And he also said, submit to one another, which is the headline of the whole chapter. So there's something about one verse in one context. And yet the thrust of the rest of the wind of the spirit of faith is moving us, but would we have eyes to see and ears to hear? Or are we going to remain closed and say, that settles it? Which kind of faith? Which kind of faith? These 12 knew enough to know they didn't know it all. And I think this is a posture for us this evening. These 12 were honest and open. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Did you like Paul's diagnostic question? Hey, I assume if you're disciples and you're trying to figure this Jesus thing out that you were baptized, right? Well, which baptism did you receive? And they say, well, John's. Now, John's baptism is one of preparation. John's baptism is one that says, are you ready for the king who is coming? Can you repent and turn from your direction and get ready to run in the direction that the Messiah Jesus is going? These men had something resonate with John's message and they say, we want to get in on this movement. So they were baptized the way that John was baptizing people. And I just wonder if Paul met these guys in the synagogue. But when the synagogue released, after they did all the traditional Jewish practices that they had done for millennia, he followed these 12 guys down to Babe's chicken dinner house after their Saturday evening gathering. And he started to eavesdrop over the smoked chicken that doesn't get enough love at Babe's. Am I right, Terry? The smoked chicken is good. You don't have to get the fried stuff. And as Paul was eating that thigh, he heard them say, I think we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I think Jesus is the one that John was talking about. The problem is, nobody's around here telling us how to follow Jesus. So then Paul puts down that thigh and he goes, I got good news. Y'all have only seen the first two episodes of the story. Y'all have watched episode one, the pilot, where God 
rescues and calls a people to be blessed, to be a blessing to the whole world. It's called Israel. And then episode two, we see the prophets and John, who is the last prophet, say there's a king that's coming. Let me tell you about episode three. Episode three is that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he's freed us from the sting of death and sin and evil. And let me tell you episode four. He's promised to give us his Holy Spirit to fill us, form us, guide us, and join us to the life eternal. Listen, we need to give the spoiler alert for the story that people in your life at Babes or Chipotle or CC's is longing for. There's enough people in your circles and enough people in your life that are searching for a better story. These guys were baptized into John's story. Your people are baptized into a consumeristic story. Your people are baptized into a democratic story, into a Republican story, into a story of fear, into a story of fundamentalism, into a story of fill in the blank. And we've got a better story. And it's a story that is life for today, that lifts and elevates the world as we learn to love the source of life with everything, and then in turn we go and love our neighbor as ourself. And so what we see is that they were honest and open to say, we didn't know there was an episode three and four. So then they heard the new to them teaching that was the continuation of the story. This is what we've talked about the entirety of Acts. You can't understand the New Testament. You can't understand Acts and the Gospels unless you understand that is not the replacement of the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment and focusing of the Old Testament. That the people of God Israel is not just them. We don't care about them. No, no, no. You are the enlarged and expanded, renewed Israel. You are brothers and sisters with the ones of old, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're your great-great-grandparents. But they had episode one. And now Paul says to the 12 and to you, there's more to the story. And what's implicit in what we read earlier between there's a Holy Spirit to I'm baptized is this little nugget on the screen number three. They discerned God's fingerprints. There's some stopgap where they're anchored enough and their faith is open enough, not that anything goes, but they say, maybe like women in ministry, there is a trajectory here with God's fingerprints. That sounds like something God is up to. They discerned God's fingerprints, and we know that because, number four, they were baptized into the story of Jesus. Your friends, my friends, my family, my kids, you students need a better story. You're starting up school, students. You're starting another class. You have no shortage of alternative stories. The director's cut that says popularity, social media, fill in the blank. This is the story to live. And I'm going to tell you a story of one of unconditional love and goodness and grace. Of the God of the universe knowing you, calling to you, to fill you, form you, and shape you into the fullest flourishing potential of who you have been made to be. And it is made for love, to love, to receive love, to give love. That's the story. 
So these men were baptized in the name of Jesus. And a lot of times we come to the text and we say, like some denominations later, oh, we need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Lord willing, next week we're going to baptize two young people. And we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A later tradition emerges in this developing and open faith community in the Gospels and Acts. And the later tradition says, we think that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one God. But they're also three. But are they one? Yes. But are they three? Yes. Does it make sense? Not that much. So spend the rest of your life opening yourself to the mystery and vastness because we only got a thimble. But we see enough of the story that they're revealed as God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So in Acts, in this moment, in the movement, it was important for these John guys to become Jesus guys. So it's not prescriptive that every baptism from henceforth and forever should be just in the name of Jesus. Luke's just telling us they needed Jesus. They didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. So then Paul did the hand thing and they received the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is no one size fits all formula in Acts. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes before sometimes the Holy Spirit comes after sometimes they prophesy they do tongues that may not have been your experience there's no one size fits all guess what it's more about opening your heart to the window that the Spirit might blow through for the Spirit moves where the Spirit wills there's no one size fits all it's not a different or better formula, and it's mostly not a two-step process. If you believe in Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. For Luke and for me, Adam, and for our Catholic brothers and sisters and anybody else, they would say there is no such thing as a true believer and follower of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. It's a package deal. It comes with the dinner like that gross salad at Babe's. But the Holy Spirit is so much better than that gross salad. Why? Let me tell you. They received the promised Holy Spirit, which is, you ready for it? The birthright of every child of God. The Holy Spirit is not an add-on or an advanced degree of spirituality. Some of our brothers and sisters, we lovingly disagree with, that there's a second baptism. There's a second level. And that you're just not manifesting those powerful signs because you just don't have what we have. To this point, I would say, the gifts of the Spirit, like discernment, tongues, wisdom, mercy, teaching, all fill in the blank. The gifts the Spirit gives may differ, but the gift, capital G, of the Spirit's filling and forming presence that joins us to the life of Christ is for all who believe. If you are born into God's kingdom, if you are a son of the Most High God, a daughter of the Most High God, the Holy Spirit is within you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is your birthright. How and when is a mystery. We're going to baptize you with water, but believing in Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit in some great mystery I don't fully understand. But the New Testament teaching is that as you follow Jesus, you're keeping in step with the Spirit. You're opening the windows of your soul so that the wind might blow through again. 
Let me say this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs and oversees our formation, knowing what we need to grow into the image of Christ, when and how we're able to receive it. Do you see what image is on the back of this slide? You might have to look at that screen back there. Anybody see it? What is it? Carnival? Theme park? You see a Ferris wheel? Here's the way I've thought about it. I believe that the Holy Spirit operates very much like those teenagers at Six Flags that measure how tall you are to ride the ride. We went the last time with Emma, and she was trying to ride, was it the Batman? She had finally worked her courage up, and she was going to go ride the Batman. And the guy was talking to Amy and I and absentmindedly smacking her in the forehead as he was telling us she's not tall enough. And we said, we know, we know. It's slapping her face right now. She can't clear it. Yes, we get it. And so what happened was the Holy Spirit is moving and forming and directing you, knowing that you may want to go there and do this, but it's just not your time. You're not there yet. And it's not that he doesn't want you to experience this or that. It's just not your time to receive it. How many of you know something different now than you did when you first said yes to Jesus about life with him? How many of you have had an experience with God that is different from when you first said yes to him? How many of you have walked through the valley of the shadow in such a way that you could not have survived when you first said yes to him? It's not that you just go on to bigger and better things. I also believe that sometimes this ride would hurt you. And so we entrust ourselves to the Holy Spirit who directs, oversees, superintends our formation, knowing what we need, how, and when we're able to receive it in whatever seasons of life. So the question is, can you look back and see how the season shaped you along the way? In a way that everything belongs and that everything is included. I think about my own faith journey when I went to get my bachelor's degree and I had gone a pretty far way off of the reservation of Christian faith and practice. But then God got my attention in an after-school special dramatic kind of way. I can tell you about it some other time. And I had to swing that pendulum and I moved back home to live with my parents and get a master's at a very conservative seminary. And I am confident that there was nowhere else I needed to go except this seminary for this time. Now, I graduated in 2011 with a master's from this seminary. And let me tell you that there's a couple fundamental beliefs or pillars that I, were t that I was taught that I do not hold anymore. Why? Because I needed to learn these rules, and I needed to receive what God had for me in that season of my training in such a way that as I moved on through my journey and stayed as open as I could, I was able to find newer and different expressions and new 
rides, and experiences in the theme park of my life with God. Do you get what I'm saying? So let me ask you these reflection questions. I'm going to close with a quick invitation. What aspects of your faith, practice, or theology have changed or evolved? I went off on a women in ministry tangent. Can I raise my hand and say, that's one for me. What aspects of your faith, practice, or theology have changed or evolved? Or are you still living in those suit pants and you need to see what the Spirit might be leading you elsewhere? Second, what aspects of your faith, practice, or theology have stayed rooted or anchored throughout your journey? For me, understand that there are still some things, it's not anything goes, I am more confident now in the bigness of Jesus and the work of his life, death, and resurrection than I ever was. That anchor is buried even deeper now. So what aspects of your faith, practice, or theology have stayed rooted or anchored throughout your journey? Third, how open are you to discovering new frontiers of understanding, experiencing, and living with God, or perhaps with others? Maybe this women in ministry thing challenged you or pushed a button. Could we talk about it? I've been where you've been, perhaps, if you're not there. Let's talk about it. But I think the invitation is even if we disagree, can we not disengage? And can we both stay open to what the Spirit is doing with us in these seasons? Finally, how do you discern and decide which of these new expressions of faith are worth pursuing? Some of these things we get in front of us and we realize it's all bones, it's no meat. You just need to move that thing along. We don't need to entertain that. Eh, we don't detect the fingerprints of God. These are some questions for reflection. I hope that you have felt a sense or a nudge to a more open faith like these disciples, like those who found their desk at the Hall of Tyrannus wanting to know and discover more. So let me close with this invitation. Just know that there is more of the ocean of grace to dive into, discover, and experience. So stay anchored, but stay curious. Stay anchored in who you know God to be, in his goodness, as Jason said earlier, even when it's hard to believe and sing. Would you stay anchored, but stay curious? Because our God is living, active. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword. There is work to do. You haven't figured it all out. Would you pay attention? Because no one finds that doesn't seek. Those 12 watched and waited. Those others claimed their desk in the kingdom of God class at that hall of Tyrannus. There was something that moved them to seek. So keep looking, stay curious. And finally, could we as a community move forward with the expectation that God has more for us yet? Would we open our hearts, our souls, and our minds to the Holy Spirit in such a way where we're ready for where the Spirit is blowing next? Amen and amen. The Spirit of God is upon you and has anointed you. 
You are the salt of the earth and you bring light to the world. You are not too young or too old. You are not too rich or too needy to bring good news to the impoverished, to give a hand to the brokenhearted and to live out freedom and pardon through the gifts you have been given. Do not be frightened for you are never alone. The God in whose image you are made will walk with you and guide you today, tomorrow, and every day. Go in peace.